The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Nehemiah chapter number 2. Nehemiah chapter number 2. Find the book of Psalms and turn back about three books and you will find the book of Nehemiah. I want to talk to you this morning about how to do hard things. And we'll get started here in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse number 5. The Bible says, And I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldst send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. What we see in this verse specifically, and in the book of Nehemiah broadly, is that Nehemiah volunteered himself to do something hard. And that hard thing was, number one, to go to a city that he apparently had never been to before, the city of Jerusalem. And then number two, to do a job that he seemingly was not 100% qualified to do. Since we see at the end of chapter number one that Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer in the Persian court. And I wonder if in our attempt to understand Nehemiah's experience as cupbearer turned leader, that we in turn learn something about our own. All of us here this morning, whether we have volunteered for it or not, find ourselves facing at least one hard thing or challenging task. And what makes it challenging is that the task or situation may be new to us, something that we've never experienced before. Or just as likely, it may be a task that we don't feel equipped enough or qualified enough or talented enough to accomplish. Because we're in an academic environment, I know that I'm speaking to a lot of driven people here this morning. So I imagine that the hard thing that you're facing is something tangible and time-bounded. You know, just as Nehemiah left to a place not his own, so, you, so too you have traveled from afar, and although you don't have a wall to build, you do have a paper to write. You do have a project to complete. You do have a team to coach or a culture to change. But I'd also like to think that the hard thing that we are up against, the challenging task that we're facing, is something that's less obvious, something that is within or inward, like a mindset that needs to be changed, or an attitude, a disposition, or perhaps even a besetting sin. And you know, when it comes to doing hard things, we can land in one of two unhealthy, unhealthy extremes, can't we? One extreme is that we get overwhelmed so that we procrastinate and we put off and we find a thousand reasons not to do that thing. Or we find ourselves doing a thousand lesser things or even things that are good causes to avoid doing the hard work. But the other unhealthy extreme is that we give ourselves to workaholism, neglecting ourselves and our relationships in order to accomplish the goal that we've set out for ourselves. And what's deceptive about this extreme is that there is a payoff, isn't there? That is, we get the grade, we win the game, we set the record, we pass the class. But there's a price tag to that as well. Because we continue to press on and to grind and to press through until we burn out, frazzle our relationships, and damage our health. 
So to help us with this, we're going to look at the life of Nehemiah this morning. And no doubt the book of Nehemiah is a great study on leadership. That's the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of this book. But more than providing us an example of leadership, the book of Nehemiah provides for us a pattern on how to do hard things, how to do the hard work. And I want us to look at a number of lessons that we see in the first chapters of this book. And I'm going to present them this morning as challenges or calls to action for all of us to consider. So let's get started. Um, We're going to start here in chapter number one. And the first directive for us, really the first call to action, is that we need to have pure motives. How to do the hard work? Well, first of all, have pure motives. And we see this in chapter number one. And in these early verses, we see that Nehemiah had a sincere concern for the city of God and the people of God. And we also see very clearly in chapter one that Nehemiah had an understanding of scripture and the importance of prayer. Take a look at verse number two. That Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Now notice verse number four. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then we see his prayer beginning in verse number five, and it continues to the end of the chapter. And what we see in this prayer is that Nehemiah demonstrated an understanding of scripture. Um, This prayer clearly shows his understanding about the character of God, and it also shows the burden that he had for his people. But what this also shows me is that Nehemiah's desire to do something hard, to do something significant, to do something difficult came from a good place. He saw the need, and then he did something about it. And he did not do it to gain followers unto himself. He didn't do it to leverage the situation to find a higher station in life. He didn't want to monetize the situation or capitalize upon it. He did it out of a love for God and because he wanted to serve God's people. And what I see from this is, first of all, it's good to do hard things. It's good to do things that take us out of our comfort zone and things that challenge us to grow and to influence others for good. But second, I would say that it's also good to ask ourselves why. Now, not to the point where we hyperanalyze all of our decisions and that we get nothing done, but at least to ask ourselves, are we doing this hard thing out of self-love, out of self-promotion, out of an unrealistic expectation, or rather, Are we doing this thing because we are driven by a love for God, a love for people, and even a love for the thing itself? Let me give you three quick examples from scripture. The first one is found in Luke chapter 11, and it's in this chapter where we see Jesus rebuking the Pharisees for having an outward appearance of loving God and serving God, but inwardly having the wrong motives. And this is what he says in verse 43. He says, woe unto you Pharisees, for ye love. Okay, just stop right there. He says, for ye love. Notice what's not said. For you love what? You love God? You love holiness? You love service? Rather, it says, for ye love the uppermost seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets. I mean, how superficial, um, how shallow. Instead of being driven by a pure love for God, they were infected by the love of celebrity, the love of being seen, the love of being noticed, the love of being regarded, the love of being respected. 
Another example is found in 3 John, where the Bible mentions a man named Diotrephes, a man who apparently had a leadership role in the church, but the Bible records that he loved to have the preeminence. He loved to have the preeminence. Now, I don't know the whole story with Diotrephes. I'm assuming that he started with pure motives. I'm assuming that what he did in the church came from a good place, but the leadership role went to his head and his motives changed. There's another example, and that's in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, where the Bible talks about a king, Uzziah. And in chronicling all, or cataloging rather, all the things that Uzziah did, the Bible says this in 2 Chronicles chapter 26 and verse 10, and I love how this verse ends. The Bible says, also he built towers in the desert and digged many wells, for he had much cattle, both in the low country and in the plains, husbandmen also, and vine dressers in the mountains, and in Carmel for he loved husbandry. And the word that we would use for that today is agriculture or farming. And what I see in this last clause is an activity, okay, agriculture or farming, that Uzziah took pleasure in. And you know what? There is no judgment in scripture against that. Now, Uzziah was judged. And what he was judged for was not for a love of agriculture, but rather for mismanaging his success. He became successful, he became proud in that success, and God judged him accordingly. So all of that to say this, that if you wanna go out and start that small business, then go out and start that small business. If you wanna go out and write the great American novel, then go for it. If you wanna grow in personal holiness and virtue, well then pursue that, and I would say pursue that first. But if we're doing these things because we want to be bigger than or better than or holier than or known for, we really need to stop and ask ourselves, why? Why did we start doing this hard thing in the first place? So the first lesson that we learn from Nehemiah is, number one, we'll have pure motives. Number two, this comes in chapter number two, and that is to be deliberate. Okay, be deliberate. And in verses 11 through 12, um, we see that Nehemiah went on this almost covert mission Um, He went out at night and he surveyed the city of Jerusalem when he got there, and he chose to keep this survey trip quiet. Take a look at verse number 12. This is one of my favorite passages, in fact, in the book of Nehemiah. In verse 12, it says, And I arose in the night, I and some few men with me. Neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. Now, verses 13, 14, and 15, he talks about how he goes through the city. And again, it's nighttime, it's quiet. Maybe it's a little bit dangerous because the wall had been broken down. And he surveys the damage. And then in verse 16, he says, And the rulers knew not whither I went or what I did. Neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. And what I find most meaningful about this survey trip is that he chose to keep it quiet, at least for that span of time. Now, in verse 17, it's clear, he does share what his mission was, what he wanted to lead the people in, but there was a time that he remained quiet. He kept his aspirations, his plans, this hard thing that he wanted to do to himself. And although I can't say for certain why he chose to remain silent, my guess is that He wanted to get all the facts for himself before leading the people. That is, he wanted to survey the damage for himself, survey the situation for himself, come up with a plan for himself so that he could speak with confidence to the people and with credibility. 
And I think that when we're facing challenges and are called upon to do hard things, I think there needs to be a place where all of us, where we get alone and we have really quiet contemplation, a quiet time of study, a quiet time alone with God, a quiet time for planning. And that takes deliberate action on our part, doesn't it? And it takes self-control because it is far too easy for us to talk about what we feel called to do, to talk about this hard thing that we want to pursue and all the challenges and all the impediments, or just as likely to waste a lot of time listening to every podcast and reading every blog post and watching every YouTube video about that thing and not getting alone with ourselves and with God and doing the hard work. A verse that meets us right where we live when it comes to words and actions is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 11 that says, and that you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. So have pure motives, be deliberate. And then number three, we'll find this in chapter number four, that is to expect adversity, expect adversity. Now the adversaries of Nehemiah are first mentioned in chapter two and verse number 10. And the Bible says, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant the Ammonite heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was a man, there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. So Tobiah and Sanballat, they were grieved when Nehemiah showed up in Jerusalem. But when we get to chapter four and verse number one, we see that it was more than just being grieved. Look at verse number one. It says, but, but it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. Now the mockery is found in verses two and three, but when we get to verse number seven, we see that the grief that turned to mockery then turned to violence. Look at verse number seven. But it came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth and conspired all of them together and to fight against Jerusalem to hinder it. Now, the adversity that Nehemiah experienced was physical and imminent. That is, there was an army of people that wanted to fight and to kill those who lived in Jerusalem. But for us, the adversity that we face is not so much physical, but rather it's social. That is, when we choose to do something hard and challenging and greater than ourselves, there will come social pressure or social resistance. People that are close to us who won't quite understand why we're no longer doing that thing or participating in that activity, and rather why we are investing our time, our energy, our attention, our resources in this other really good thing, this hard thing. But I think it's also true that the most severe and really unsuspecting adversity we face comes from, not from others, but from ourselves. That is, we have a keen ability to derail ourselves, to self-sabotage ourselves in, in, in our good intentions, whether we intend to do something academic, whether we decide to do something professional, whether we decide to do something spiritual. And the self-sabotage can come in a number of forms and from another number of sources. For example, self-sabotage can come from a wrong view of ourselves, from a wrong view of ourselves, by our thinking that we lack the intelligence, the creativity, the talent, the favor, to accomplish what is set before us. But you know, I can direct you to a number of characters in the Bible, like Moses, Gideon, Jeremiah, Mary, the disciples, 
as examples of God working in and through the very people who viewed themselves as inadequate and unlikely. Self-sabotage can also come from a wrong use of our time, from a wrong use of our time. You know, I've been here long enough to know that the staff and the students here are very busy people. Uh, people who feel as though that they don't have enough time to do everything that is set out before them. But I think the answer, and I, think, I hope that you would agree with me on this, is not necessarily in having more time to get things done. Really, it's a matter of having the right priorities, having the right values, and simultaneously identifying those things that are wasting our time. And when we do those things, we find that we do have the space to do the hard things. And closely related to that, self-sabotage can come from an inability, from an inability to manage distractions. Distractions from our devices, distractions from our habits, and more powerfully, distractions from our own thoughts. Thoughts of jealousy, resentment, bitterness, insecurity, worst case scenario thinking. These kinds of thoughts can easily make our minds wander, which keeps us from doing the hard work. So we need to expect adversity, whether it comes from others, that social pressure, or whether it comes from ourselves. Number four, we see this in chapters four and five. So we're to expect adversity, but we also need to be a problem solver. If we want to do the hard work, if we want to accomplish that challenging thing, like Nehemiah, we need to be a problem solver. Now, in chapters four and five, we see two different scenarios, two different situations that Nehemiah had to address. The first was one that was military. That is, there is an army. They want to attack the city of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah demonstrates this beautiful balance of praying and preparing of having the people remember God and to depend upon God and at the same time continue in the work and to prepare for battle. It's a beautiful balance and we see this in chapter four. In chapter number five, if you look at verse number one, we see that Nehemiah along the way faces a very different type of adversity. It was a problem that he needed to solve and it came from his own people. It was a domestic problem. Look at verse number one. It says, and there was a great cry of the people and of their wives against their brethren, the Jews. So there was economic exploitation taking place with the people of Israel. And this was a problem that Nehemiah needed to solve. In fact, look at verse number six. When he learns of this problem of what was taking place, the well-off taking advantage of the poor, in verse number six, it says, and I was very angry when I heard their cry in these words. Then I consulted with myself. And I rebuked the nobles and the rulers and said unto them, ye exact usury, that's interest, every one of his brother, and I set a great assembly against them. If you go down to verse 11, you can see how he solved this problem, where he charged them to restore, I pray you, to them, even this day, their lands, their vineyards, and so forth. So in two very different situations, a military situation, a situation among his own people, Nehemiah was able to achieve positive solutions. And regardless of our situation, that is the hard thing that we are up against. We have the promise of wisdom in James chapter 1 and verse 5, where it says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. One more. How do we do hard things? Well, we need to be a problem solver. But last, we also need to demonstrate discernment demonstrate discernment. And we see this in chapters five and six. 
5 and 6. In chapter 5, we see a situation where Nehemiah, he intentionally chooses not to follow what he calls um, kind of the standard of the governors before him and in the money that he would take from the people because he wanted to have credibility with the people. It was something that he chose. He didn't have to do it, but he used discernment and he chose to do it because he wanted that credibility and because he loved the people that he served. And then chapter number six, we have situations where his enemies were wanting to call him out and to meet with him in a conference with him, but he had the discernment to know that they were out to do him harm and he refused their offers. He demonstrated discernment. And when it comes to our doing hard things, working through difficult things like Nehemiah, we need to use discernment in knowing what to say no to, like Nehemiah did, what to say yes to, how to read situations, and to understand the consequences of our decisions. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 22 and verse 3 that the prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. And what I learned from Nehemiah is that the process is just as important as the outcome. Nehemiah had a job to perform, and that was to build the wall. And he accomplished that outcome in record time, in 52 days. But just as important as the outcome was Nehemiah's personal integrity and the culture of his people. That in the midst of the project, they aligned themselves with God's word. And in doing so, he demonstrated qualities that we can emulate as we do hard things. Qualities such as purity, intentionality, resilience, resourcefulness, and discernment. And I think there's a lesson in that for all of us. You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College. Empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.